0: All right, so today's sermon is the last sermon in our series on accountability. We've been doing a series called Growing Through Accountability about how accountability helps us grow as Christians and we should pursue it and we should uh, try to have it effectively and take advantage of it. So today, for the last part, uh, the sermon is titled Making Accountability Less Difficult because guess what? Accountability is difficult, Uh, You could also think of it, you could also title it, making confrontation less difficult. Because confrontation is difficult. No one really likes it. But there are things we can do uh, to make it less difficult than it is. We have an amount of control over that, and we should take advantage of that. So that's the goal of this. That's the point. We're going to try to make accountability and confrontation less difficult because they are part of the Christian life. So um, as usual, we're going to start by defining accountability for the purpose of this series. Uh, The definition, for the purposes of this series, this is how we define accountability. Accountability means having a relationship with someone where you're open with them about the areas you're not doing well in, and they tell you hard truths that you need to hear. We all need that. That requires you being open with them, and that requires you being willing to receive correction and rebuke. Being willing to be confronted, and accountability should also include being open about areas that might not be problems currently, but that um, you know could be you suspect could become problems down the road. The the wise person sees adversity coming and hides himself. It says in Proverbs. Um, you know that's something we should talk about in accountability. So everyone has difficulty with being confronted. It's not just me, right? <laughs> okay, good. I was, I was worried this sermon wouldn't be worth it if it was just me. But we all have difficulty with accountability and with being confronted. And I think, I kind of think that it's a particularly difficult thing for most people today. Um, And I think there's two reasons why it's particularly difficult for a lot of us. The first one is that a lot of us tend to view life, and especially correction, through a rejection mindset. And the second one is that we haven't been taught how to deal with rebuke that's difficult to hear, which is most rebuke. Um, You know, there's, there's ways to deal with it, but a lot of us haven't been taught how. So we're gonna get into that today. So first, let's talk about that first reason that I think makes accountability and confrontation more difficult. Uh, We have a rejection mindset a lot. So what I mean by that, this is how I define a rejection mindset Um, A rejection mindset means you interpret the actions and attitudes of others through a lens that makes you more likely to believe that others think more negatively of you than they actually do. I'm going to say that again, I probably could have worded it a bit better, but a rejection mindset means that you interpret the actions and attitudes of others through a lens that makes you more likely to believe that others think more negatively of you than they actually do. And most people alive today in America struggle with this, I think. And this definitely makes confrontation even more difficult than it otherwise would be. This definitely makes confrontation more difficult than it otherwise would be. So some common examples of how this might play out, um, I wrote two of them down. These are thoughts and feelings that we tend to think or think or feel things that are similar to. So the first one, so-and-so didn't text me back. They're probably purposefully ignoring me because they don't like me, right? It's easy to feel and think things similar to that. I think a lot of people struggle with this. Um, Or so-and-so didn't look too happy when they corrected me earlier. They probably think I'm stupid. How many people have struggled with feeling or thinking something like that? I have. I think it's quite common. And it definitely makes confrontation more difficult than it otherwise would be, right? I think this is one of the biggest reasons why confrontation is particularly difficult for most people. And this is something we have to learn to, to overcome. We have to change our thinking on this. For me... Um, a lot of it, when people would correct me, I would feel like they didn't like me. And that feeling was much stronger than there was reason for it to be. And that makes confrontation difficult. Everything's difficult when you take everything personally, but we tend to struggle with that as modern Americans. You know, this re- affected my relationship with bosses at jobs. It affected my relationship with spiritual authority. It, affects, it affected my relationship with Teresa. Um, like, this, this does cause problems in life. But it's something that we can grow out of, and by and large, I've largely grown out of it, but it, it takes time and effort. It takes concentrated effort and it's worth putting the effort into, because this will affects your relationship with spiritual authority, with your uh, bosses, with anyone, really. But it especially affects how you handle confrontation and being rebuked or corrected. Some qual- common qualities that tend to go along with a rejection mindset um, Number one, you you assume others think negatively of you without having proof that they do, which is very easy to do. The second common quality that I think is worth mentioning, um, you are frequently worried about what others think of you. And three, uh, a third common quality um, that might be a sign that you struggle with having a rejection mindset, you feel like others... Uh, tend to be quite upset with you, even over small mistakes. These are signs that you struggle with a rejection mindset, which, you know, a lot of us do. I want to be surprised if more than 50% of the people in this room do. It's quite a common problem today. And it, uh, it affects life, it affects discipleship, it affects confrontation, we're going to get into. So I want to talk particularly about how it makes confrontation more difficult, how a rejection mindset is harmful in regards to accountability. Number one, having a rejection mindset will often tempt us to respond to rebuke with accusation, with anger, with bitterness or discouragement. You know, we want other people to care about us and to like us. And if, if we think that when they correct us, they're just being hateful and mean and that they really don't like us, it's natural to respond um, with anger towards them. And that's one of the reasons why confrontation and rebuke are difficult. So having a rejection mindset often tempts us to respond to rebuke with accusation or anger or bitterness. The second way in which it's a hindrance, having a rejection mindset tempts us to be afraid of being open with people and to avoid people who would give us a firmer rebuke. You know, sometimes we need a firm, clear rebuke about something, but if if we struggle with a rejection mindset, it's easy to want to avoid that and to just try to talk to people or have accountability with people who, they're there, it's, it's okay, you're, you're the victim here, we can, we can help, instead of giving you a firm rebu- rebuke. Having a rejection mindset will tempt you to not want to be open with people. The third thing, um, the way it's a hindrance, having a rejection mindset makes rebuke more painful to listen to, and it makes accountability more difficult. Because if every time someone corrects you or rebukes you, you know you feel like they hate you or they really dislike you, that's just going to make it more painful. But we can overcome this. This is a hindrance, and it says in Hebrews You know, 13, we're to cast aside every hindrance, every encumbrance. This is definitely a hindrance and encumbrance and it's something we need to cast aside if we struggle with it. So, um, let's get into the next section. How to overcome a rejection mindset. Number one, you have to learn to notice your biased thoughts. So if, if, you have, if you struggle for rejection mindset, you're going to have biased thoughts, biased thoughts that other people think more negatively of you than they actually do. And you need to be on the lookout for those. Um, I have some examples of some. Number one, thinking that the other person is really mad at you just because they rebuked you firmly. Just because somebody rebukes you firmly doesn't mean that they're really mad at you but we tend to think that, we tend to feel that way. And that's something we need to notice and fight against. If a father sees his child about to run out in front of a car, he'll probably yell at him. But does that mean he's really mad at him? No, he's concerned. We need to fight against the assumption that just because somebody rebuked us firmly, they're really mad at us, which is something we tend to feel. It could be the case, but you shouldn't assume that. The second example I have of thoughts we need to notice and fight against thinking that the other person doesn't care about you or doesn't like you just because they almost always correct you when they talk to you. This is very common. I've struggled with this. But this is not not something we should assume. We need to fight against this. You know, in sports, some of the best coaches are almost constantly correcting their best players but that's not because they dislike their best players. It's because they see potential in them and they want them to be the best players they can be. Just because someone rebukes you frequently doesn't mean they dislike you. That's not a good reason to think that. Jesus frequently corrected his disciples, whom he clearly cared about. Let's look at some examples of that. Uh, Matthew 8, 23 through 26. And when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. Another example of Jesus correcting the disciples, uh, Luke 9, 51 through 56. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Guess what Jesus did? He turned and rebuked them. And they went to another village. Based on this and other attitudes the disciples had, I think it's safe to think that Jesus frequently corrected the disciples. But let's look at another example. Matthew 16, 21 through 23. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. Jesus clearly loved Peter. Jesus had a close relationship with his disciples and a, a close relationship with Peter. But Peter needed a firm rebuke. You know, how would we respond if Jesus said this to us? Get behind me, Satan. Jesus, how could you? That's so insensitive. That's probably how we would respond. Jesus, I don't need these negative vibes in my life. but Peter needed firm rebuke. The disciples regularly needed rebuke. And Jesus, who clearly cared about them and had a close relationship with them, frequently corrected them. And he loved them. We need to avoid thinking that just because someone frequently corrects us that they don't like us or that they don't care. A person who cares about you would want to correct you if they thought you needed it, or else they don't care. Correction is loving to give to people. As a good example of that, I want to take a quick look at Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline Or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father and a son in whom he delights. Reproof is loving. The Lord reproves those who he loves as a father does and a son he delights in. One thing I would really want us to get out of this verse is to kind of think of how it relates to spiritual authority. The Lord's reproof often comes through spiritual authority. God often gives reproof through people, specifically through pastors and disciples. The reproof of spiritual authority is God's reproof. And we're told we're encouraged to not be weary Not get tired of, not get sick of the Lord's reproof. That's something we need to remember. God encourages us to not get tired of or sick of his reproof. Because he loves us. And he's often going to reprove us through other people. And we need to not get tired of it or sick of it. And we also shouldn't assume that just because people frequently correct us that they dislike us. That is a bad assumption to make. You know what they say about assuming, but I'm not going to say it in church. (laughs) Another thing we tend to assume, um, you know, a biased thought we need to look out for. Expecting that the person with whom you have accountability with will get really mad at you if you're open and honest with them about the areas you're not doing well in. This is easy to think. Most of us have had this, where we have something that we know we should tell a pastor or a discipler or someone we have accountability with, and we're scared to do it. We're scared of what their response is going to be. I've been there. But we shouldn't be assuming, you've got to watch out for your assumptions, we shouldn't be assuming that they're going to respond by getting really mad. If we just assume that, it'll cause us to be afraid of opening up with people. It'll cause us to be afraid of being honest with people it'll also make you more likely to get angry at them because you're assuming they're going to be angry at you. And it's easy to respond to the anger of others towards you with anger towards them. It'll keep you from trusting them. By expecting that they'll respond with anger or by getting really mad, if you're honest with them, you're basically assuming that they won't handle it well. But how do you like it when others just assume that you won't handle something well? You wouldn't like it very well if, you know, at your job, your boss just stopped giving you tasks because they just assumed you wouldn't handle it well. That'd be rude. It's rude to assume that others won't handle something well without Good reason for assuming that. But it's very easy to assume that others are going to respond with uh, an unreasonable amount of anger when we tell them, when we're open and honest about our struggles. We need to watch out for that assumption. You should ask yourself if you find yourself thinking that or feeling that, that they're going to be really mad at you for being open with them about you know, some sin you're struggling with, you should ask yourself, does this person frequently respond to situations by getting really angry? If they don't, then you don't have a good reason to assume that they will. You don't have a good reason to assume that they'll respond to you that way. Another biased thought that we need to look out for, uh, thinking that if a person is mad at you, then they don't care about you. This is very easy to be thinking or feeling and just assume it. If you catch yourself thinking that just because someone else is mad at you, they don't care about you, you need to question that. Whether the other person's actually mad at you or not, you shouldn't equate that with them not caring about you. Again, using Jesus as an example, Jesus clearly cared about the disciples, but he still got mad at them sometimes. Let's look at Mark 10, 13 through 16. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you in truth, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. Jesus cared dearly about his disciples, but he still got mad at them sometimes. It's very easy to feel like just because someone else is mad at you that they don't care, but we need to watch out for those thoughts. You know, parents who love their kids still get mad at them. If you're a parent, you know it. (laughs) Spouses who love each other still get mad at each other. But anyways... um, you know, the first way to overcome having a rejection mindset, you have to be on the lookout for biased thoughts. You have to notice them. The second thing you have to do um, is you have to fight against biased thoughts when you have them. David, we can go to the, uh, the bullet point slide for that. If you notice that you struggle with biased thoughts like these frequently, you should spend some time trying to come up with counter-arguments to the thoughts of rejection that you commonly struggle with. If you struggle with feeling like everyone who corrects you dislikes you, uh, you might have to come up with some arguments as to why that isn't necessarily true. And I would start with some of the ones I mentioned. I would recommend that if you struggle with this, you take some time to write a list of arguments and then you have some for when you need them. You need to be purposeful about setting yourself against biased thoughts. Because even if you still struggle with it emotionally after setting yourself against them, it still makes a difference. You know, a lot of us struggle with feeling emotions that aren't reality. I've heard statistics, I don't know how people track this, but it it sounds reasonable. You know, 90% of the stuff that most people are anxious about never happens. But just think about that in your own life. I would bet at least 50% of the stuff that you're daily anxious about never happens. That's proof that a lot of our emotions aren't connected with reality. Which is why we have to learn to control them, or at least fight against them with our thoughts. And even if you don't manage to control them, even if you don't get your emotions to do what you want them to do, just setting yourself against believing the ones that aren't connected to reality is a step in the right direction. And it makes a difference. If you're not going to fight against them, you shouldn't expect the issue to get better. The third point I have, um, if you have an accountability relationship with someone, and you struggle with feeling like they don't care about you, or they dislike you, or they're almost always mad at you, I would recommend considering talking it out with that person. You know, check yourself to see if your thoughts are biased, and fight against your biased thoughts, but if you have a discipler, or a pastor, or an accountability partner, and you feel like they don't care about you, or they dislike you, or they're almost always mad at you, you should talk to them about it. You should tell them what's bothering you. There's basically two ways that There's two things that can happen. Number one, either they really do care about you and they can affirm that to you and they might realize that they need to be clearer about communicating it and they can do that. Or, you know, maybe you're right, maybe they do get more angry than they should or they don't care as much as they should. But even if that's the case, all the more reason to talk to them about it because you can correct them, you can rebuke them, and you should. But either way, talking to them about it is a good thing to do. This can make a real difference. When Teresa and I were dating, I had to talk to Teresa about this a number of times. I felt pretty insecure about our relationship when Teresa and I were dating. And we had to talk about it a number of times. But talking about it eventually made it way better. I haven't struggled with insecurity in our relationship in like since we've been married, and we're happily married. But in all honesty, like, I used to struggle enough with insecurity in our relationship that if I didn't talk it out with Teresa, I probably would have broken off the engagement. If you really struggle in an accountability relationship with feeling like someone else doesn't care, or they dislike you, or they're always mad at you, you should talk to them about it. I had to do this with Greg once, (laughs) at least once, (laughs) but it, it really did make things better. I was getting to the point where I was starting to struggle with bitterness. But biblically, when you're struggling with bitterness and you're having a hard time forgiving the person, you should talk to them about it, if they're a Christian, if they're a brother or sister in Christ. And in all the cases where I've done this with someone, it really helps the relationship. A number of times, I can say quite confident the relationship wouldn't have gone well if I didn't do this, because I probably would have grown more bitter So, um, you know, the second reason why confrontation and accountability tend to be difficult is we haven't learned how to handle rebuke well. So I have a section on how to deal with rebuke when it's difficult. And if that's most of the time, that's fine. (laughs) But we need to know how to handle rebuke when it's difficult. I've got five points on how to handle rebuke when it's difficult. Number one, Use scripture to encourage yourself. So if, you know, if you're in a situation where you're receiving rebuke from someone and you're really struggling with it, you can use the scripture to encourage yourself. I've got four scriptures listed. They're, they're in the outline in your bulletin as well. Let's look at them. The Proverbs has great encouragement when it comes to listening to rebuke. Proverbs 12.1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Proverbs 15.32, whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Proverbs 13.18, if you ignore criticism, you will end in poverty and disgrace, but if you accept correction, you will be honored. Proverbs 15, The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. So if you're struggling with receiving rebuke and you tend to respond with anger or discouragement or being tempted to be bitter, use these verses. Quote these verses. These are powerful encouragement. They make a difference. Number two, determine to evaluate Without personal bias, uh, evaluate the correction without personal bias and apply it if it's correct. You know, the reproof, if it's coming from another human, it probably is, then it might be correct, it might not be. That person might be hearing from God and they might not be. And you have to evaluate that. And you have to do your best to do it without bias. But making the determination to do so The resolve to say, even though this rebuke is painful, I'm going to evaluate it without bias and apply it if it's correct, even if it's painful to apply. Having that resolve will make a difference. Resolve to evaluate it without bias and to apply it if it's correct. Number three, if you have a disagreement with the other person about it, talk it out with them. You know, if if you have a pastor or a discipler and they're, you know, giving you a rebuke and you don't agree with them and you just pretend that you do because you don't want to offend them and then you ignore what they have to say, that's rude. (laughs) But it's easy to do because you can avoid confrontation, which we tend to not like you're allowed to disagree with them even if they're spiritual authority or you're allowed to have a different opinion. Even if after talking it out with them, you continue to disagree with them, I would say it was still worth it to talk it out with them because now you know that you've fairly examined their rebuke. You know, it also says in Proverbs, the naive believe everything. So we know by that, comparing Proverbs to Proverbs, that when it says to accept rebuke, it doesn't say always listen to all rebuke all the time and always apply it no matter what. That's not what it means. But we should always be willing to hear out rebuke. The instruction from Proverbs is to always fairly evaluate rebuke. If you're not willing to fairly evaluate it, there's a problem in your heart. Number four, if you get bitter towards someone who's rebuking you, or if you stay angry with them for more than 24 hours, talk it out with them. Confrontation is biblical, just FYI, if this series hasn't conveyed that already. Let's look at Ephesians four twenty-six. Be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger. You know, we talked about a few sermons ago in the uh, Balance and Relationship series that anger is biblical. It's fine to be angry. But we shouldn't be staying angry with someone for more than 24 hours. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. The fifth thing, um, have an attitude of grace and forgiveness. So we're all human. And sometimes others who rebuke us might not have the right attitude. Or they might not do it at the right time or in the right way. We're all human. It happens. But we should still be gracious and forgiving. Being gracious and forgiving tends to make you less angry and less frustrated. And that makes life easier. Being gracious and forgiving isn't just good for others, it's good for you. And it's commanded. Let's look at um, Colossians 3 12 and 13. Since God chose you um, to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. One thing I want to say about this, you know, not only should we be, have an attitude of grace and forgiveness when others rebuke us, but they don't do it in the best way. Um, we should still value it. We should still value rebuke, even if that rebuke isn't perfect. I want to look at Psalm 141, verse 5. David said, Let the godly strike me, or let the godly hit me. It will be a kindness. If they correct me, it is soothing medicine. Don't let me refuse it. But I pray constantly against the wicked and their deeds. David wanted to be rebuked by the godly, even if that rebuke wasn't perfect. He still valued it we should still value it so that is five ways of how to deal with rebuke when it's difficult let's go to our communion meditation so guess what communion is a form of accountability let's look at first corinthians 11:27 through 30 so anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For you if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. So communion is a form of accountability. It says we need to examine ourselves. You should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. But it also mentions um, you know we are to examine ourselves for how we honor the body of Christ. What's the body of Christ? The body of Christ is the church. This should remind us of Matthew five, twenty three and twenty four which says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift or your offering. So when we come to communion, we are to examine ourselves for how we've been treating the body of Christ. Do we have bitterness towards brothers and sisters? Do we have sins that we are committing towards them that we haven't repented of? We need to examine ourselves for that. If we have bitterness towards others that we towards Christians that we haven't repented of or sins towards them that we haven't repented of, we shouldn't take communion. It says, "For if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself." Now, note, I'm not saying that you should just stop taking communion. That if, you know, if you struggle with that and you haven't repented, that's not the point. Let's look again at Matthew five twenty-three and 24. If you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer the offering. So if we have bitterness or sins towards other Christians we haven't repented of, we are to repent of them and then take communion. Not just give up and not take communion. So um, let's take communion.